Want to be a part of the podcast network that actually likes things? Well, now you can join the Front Row Network by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash front row network to unlock all of the dozens of special perks that come from being one of our patrons, including exclusive episodes, on-air shout-outs, Ask Me Anything sessions, and even the ability to guest star on an episode of your choosing. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash front row network to unlock all these special features with tiers starting as low as $1 a month. What are we nuts? Of course we are. You've heard our shows. $1 a month can get you so much bonus content that you will not know what to do with it. So go to once again to patreon.com slash front row network to join up with us. And hey, we will see you in the front row. The door that finally opens with life flooding in spilling. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land, and welcome to another episode of Flashbacks Presents Raised by Wolves. This spinoff series is different from our normal episode structure, where normally we break down the movies of our past and how they've influenced current pop culture and events. Today, we flip the script and we're looking at a brand new show that came out on HBO Max and has been heavily influenced by many movies uh, we have and will cover on Front Row Flashbacks. Today, we're going to break down episodes three and four of Raised by Wolves and talk about the pop culture influences that this show proudly wears on its shoulders and about the greater discussion of artificial intelligence and our reliance on technology. Along for this discussion is my co-host and the nerdy noggin of this operation, Aaron McCabe. How's it going? Oh, you know, uh, if anyone who's tuning in or hasn't already been watching these episodes, they are like the parallels. I feel like the parenting and like becoming a parent parallel is like it's it's been cracking me up. Um, You know, we were just talking about my sons and I'm like, I feel like I feel like mother. I feel like father. I feel like um, Sue. Is that her name? Yeah, Sue. I feel like uh, Marcus, like. I'm loving what this show is doing. We were just talking. My son's in speech therapy. We're still balancing school and COVID, like all this jazz. My refrigerator is still not functioning. I told so you. Have- Give it a good kick. Yeah, exactly. So how's how are things going with you, Jay? Oh, yeah. It's going. It's going well. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I'm quite uh, glad that school has started back up and we're starting to get mm-hmm. some more. Uh, structure for the kids because you're right because now as these episodes progress mother and father are getting pissed off a lot at the kids and I'm like I know that feeling I know right. that feeling a lot um, we need some space and some structure so yeah it's, it's going well and the kids are actually seeming a lot happier uh, with being able to see their friends some and having some structured things instead of mm-hmm. us trying to figure out how to work from home and not let them just run ragged throughout the house. So, right, yeah, it's good. But I'm loving this show. Uh, actually, way more than I thought. Like I'm, I don't. I, every time I finish one, I'm like, I don't want to stop. I um, know. I'm me also. Too. That's happening to me too. <laughs> there's also so much stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm a little nervous to watch it too early in the week because I don't want to forget something or miss something. So like these last two episodes, I actually just took notes while I watched because I could, there's no way. I had too many thoughts going for my brain the first 
10 minutes of episode three. So I paused it. I got my computer and I'm, I'm clickety clacking along uh, as we watch it. So uh, love it. So speaking of that, you want to, you want to give us a, a breakdown of uh, got it. so I, I thought about taking notes for these episodes and I didn't, and I wish I did, but I have a feeling you and I are usually in sync. I think we're going to, there's probably a lot of stuff we're both picking up on. And uh, I had the same issue. I really wanted to start just like blasting through every episode. So I didn't. I held back. I showed restraint. And I only watched episode three and four. So let's start with episode three. That was Virtual Faith. And basically in episode three, the Mithraic children begin exhibiting signs of illness. Campion who's now openly distrustful of mother. And we already know that the Mithraic children are distrusting of the androids. He becomes convinced that the android is trying to poison the new members of the settlement and make them sick like the previous children that were born on Kepler-22b became sick and died. And so Campion leads an escape attempt At the same time, on the other side of the planet, we kind of go back and we get to see the relationship develop between Marcus and Sue with the child they are now assuming as their son, Paul, and how they start to develop as parents. So we kind of start seeing these two parallel relationships um, and parenting Uh, these parenting evolutions take place between the android set of parents and the atheist posing as the Mithraic uh, couple as parents. So Marcus and Sue grow increasingly frustrated as well with Ambrose, who is now the leader. He's the um, highest ranking member of the um, Mithraic clan who's left survived And so they're becoming frustrated by his leadership and his refusal to authorize a rescue mission. And so while all this is going on, the kids are kind of running amok and trying to escape from the illness. Um, Father finds all of the escaped children except for Paul, who kind of breaks away from the group. He also finds the reason for why the children are getting sick. And what we find out is that basically the carbos, which is like the main food source on the planet, has radioactive cores. So what we find out is that the children who were previously born from an embryonic state and grown on the planet, Kepler-22b, died basically of radiation poisoning. And it was starting to happen with Mithraic children as well. So... um, We also find out that Campion's not affected and they keep making references to like how he's a special kid. They just don't know how. And then it's interesting, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it also parallels some of the things in the prophecy and the Mithraic um, lore and of their their, um, religion and their beliefs of kind of what's going on and maybe alluding to Campion himself. Not really sure. So let's get into the episode, Jay. What do you think, yeah. Scott? What do you think about it? Uh, lots of things I'm thinking. <laughs> um, there was so much. There's this, these episodes are rife with layers of like deep stuff. Yeah. For, first one I was thinking is like invisible threats. 
right? Remember last, last uh, episode, I talked about the eyes and I thought there was an important reason why like it was her eyes that was yeah. the, the thing that turns her into whatever. Uh, and this episode, I think, painted the picture for me. It's, it's, uh, it's that battle of blind faith versus seeing is believing, right? It's the, mm. the layers with the atheist versus the religious. But uh, remember, they didn't think the monsters, uh, well, we'll call them monsters, whatever the creatures were on the planet uh, that are running around, they, they never saw them. So they didn't think right. they were real. They thought that mother and father were creating this illusion uh, for control over them because they never saw it, right? right? So it was this just belief thing. And then they thought mother was poisoning them, right? They thought mother was the one causing this to happen, right? But it was actually – so it was – It was. Uh, that's what I think the eyes was. It was that battle of are we going with blind faith? Are we going with what, what we see is what we get? Going with the science – and the, the clear cut explanation of things. So uh, mm. it was so weird. Remember last episode, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it is. And then like 10 minutes and I'm like, that's the eye thing. That's the oh, eye man. thing that I said, I'm seeing it now. Nice. Uh, and, and it painted it, man, that picture was very, very clear for me. Uh, a couple other things that really stood out for me uh, with father, you know, saying to Campion, he's, he's beginning to lack, trust in mother he's starting to dare i say be fearful of mother as she is the necromancer and could very easily wipe him from existence as she already has uh once already so far um but i also thought when it's this lair thing and i'll get into this with episode four too but he said i have to have a purpose yes matter for her and and to me like i get it that was like a survival thing but i think it was layered you know we we mentioned like they have genders in this, but they're still yeah. androids. They don't have like gender parts, you know, they don't have body parts or anything like that. That yeah. They're just kind of designed in a way to mimic a man and a woman. But to me, this was a very, uh, a crisis in masculinity. You mm-hmm. know? Like I have to be able to provide for you. I have to have a purpose uh, or she's leaving. You know, I think to me, it's kind of a, an old school, I'll say old school. I think we have some of this dynamic still, but I think we're a lot more uh, adept to having dual income households. Everybody needs to provide now. There's, we're, we're getting rid of a lot of those gender roles. Uh, but to me, it was kind of a, an old school look at relationships. And I do think a lot of men feel this way. Like, mm-hmm. And traditionally, when I'm one of them, not great with emotions. Uh, let me provide, let me get the stuff you want. Let me take care of problems that you have. That's, that's how I like to show things. So to me, even though it was a survival statement, I thought I started getting into some gender dynamics and gender politics and relationships, which I did not expect between two androids. And like I said, episode four, I've got more notes uh, on that. I loved that aspect of it too. And I think that's where, when we were talking before, and I know we're going to get into the, to the um, breakdown of like what kind of film influences we see, but I was so like engaged in like the layers and like pulling, you know, there's a, there's so much juice to the squeeze in this show. There really is. And so I picked up on the same things with the um, relationship dynamics. And that also fit into the whole thing. It's like, here are these androids who are having very, very human problems. Um, 
you know, whether they were programmed or whether these are just naturally occurring dynamics. And what I think it's important to note is even outside of gender, let's say, which I know, you know, we can argue is some of the, I, you know, some of the roles and qualities are social constructs, but in so many different religions worldwide, just in general, as we talk about not even just like male and female, but like you said, masculinity and femininity, the yin and the yang, there's often this balance and like these kind of, I wouldn't say two opposing forces, but two complementary forces in the world in general. And, and they do influence each other. And one is more of that, like doing, providing, protecting yang energy. And the other one is that more receptive nurturing, um, just like being feminine yin energy. And so that does become a question in, let's say you've got this dynamic going and you do have one member of the relationship who kind of starts encompassing both the masculine and the feminine. And then that other partner goes, well, where, where, where do I fit in if you are the nurturer and the provider and the protector? So I thought I love that because I think that is, is like an interesting question and a struggle for all of us as we figure things out. Yeah. But to me, what was even more interesting, even though mother has kind of taken on all those roles, mm-hmm. oh, there's the better parent. I'm sorry. He's the better parent. <laughs> You know what? I agree. I agree with you. I I really love and resonate him because he does such an amazing job. And this goes to, I think, show just how important not only providing and the protecting is, but he does nurturing in a way that is he thinks he's being unuseful, but he's not. Like he's providing a space for Campion to feel comfortable with his opinions. He makes it okay and comfortable for Campion to question, like when he's always being like, it's good of you to question, you know, my thoughts or, you know, this, he makes it very comfortable for Campion to figure things out on his own for, for a lot of, in a lot of the scenes. There's that one scene we get into and and I forgot which episode it is, but where he kind of like, he gets a little into like his ego kind of takes over a little bit and he's like, you kids need to learn how to survive. And I feel like he gets a little like excessive, but for the most part, he really carries an awesome balance as a parent of being like letting Campion figure out who Campion is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, well, they're both great in their roles, but like as a character, I'm really liking where they're going with father. Um, I- I'm team father. Other other things in the the episode with with the uh, the Mithraic and then the the atheist. Actually, the atheist. We learn early on through a flashback that Marcus. One, we learn Marcus's name is Caleb because uh, there's a whole thing where Mark. Uh, it's just like hopefully everybody's seen the episode because otherwise it's confusing. The guy who plays Marcus was actually a guy named Caleb who killed the real Marcus and stole his face uh, via Android face-off, face swap, and and there's that. But what we learn is that he goes by Marcus now, so that's what I'm going to refer to him as. Uh, When he was a child, he was a child soldier for the atheist. 
Um, and that was one of the things we discussed, like, is the, the Mithraic, are the Mithraic bad? Are they extremists? Mm-hmm. Or is that just what we've kind of learned from the androids who were made by the atheists where we just hear right. that viewpoint. And what this did is it shows us, uh, ah, maybe the atheists aren't so great. Uh, child armies, not good. If you look right. at the, I looked this up cause I was just intrigued. Uh, there are 14 countries in the world, uh, known to be places where they will conscript children. Yeah. And none of those countries are places that you're going to want the passport stamp. Uh, on your book, you know, yeah. they're, they're not, they're, they're rough countries, lots of violence. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So <clears throat> the fact that they were willing to conscript children into their army to fight this religious slash non-religious war mm-hmm. um, shows us, we don't know who the good guys or the bad guys are. Like we're, it's still yeah. gray. Um, it also brought to mind, it made me immediately think of, uh, the Children's Crusade, if you're familiar with that. Are you no. familiar with that, Aaron? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I'm not super familiar with it, but I think the year was like 1212. Um, a couple of kids had visions that they were going to uh, go down south and, and to the land where the Muslims were, and they were going to convert the Muslims. And on the way... They acquired an army of 30,000 children. Uh, Now, some of this, there's like different opinions on the the verifiability of it. 30,000 children. And when they went down there, uh, a ton of them got uh, captured and enslaved. So it totally didn't work. They didn't convert anybody. But I don't know. It's just like little bits of this to me. I was like, oh, it's kind of a children's crusade thing. And because it seemed like they were. I say conscripted. It seemed more like they were forced into it. They, we didn't get really a background. Uh, well, kind the of, atheists seem very, from what they're showing, like, you know, obviously both sides think they're very much right. Yes. Right. And I, I kind of feel like that, like no offense to any atheists listening, um, but like, None take. So you, oh, all right. You've got like, there are, athe- I mean, there's any, in any group, religious, non-religious, agnostic, like when you're so, when you're clinging so tightly that your perspective is the right one, it can be a little dangerous. And so I think you've got like potentially right this like religious group who may very well as these episodes go on prove to be. I wouldn't say religious extremists, but obviously like they're very much clinging. And we see this in these episodes, they're clinging to this scripture and to this prophecy and to all these things. And very much the atheists were clinging to like their wrong, their way was the wrong way. So you've got both these sides giving their perspective on how the other way, how the way, the other way that the other side was living was the wrong way. And, you know, I just, I think it's so fascinating, even, even in when they go back and forth between the dichotomy of these two ways of thinking and these philosophies, you still see the parallels. Yeah. Yeah. And you see the good in both and the bad yeah. in both. And it's interesting, you know, they're really painting this as a gray picture. Yeah. Um, as, it, as the reality is, you know, that's what it is a lot of times uh, in these scenarios. 
You know, one yeah. more note though that I had on this is a book. I'm going to give a shout out to a book that's 13 years old, but it's it's called Long Way Gone. It's by a guy named Ishmael Behi. Uh, he was a captured child soldier in Sierra Leone. And it's about his time as a soldier and the horrors of what he went through all the way through being rehabilitated into a, a functioning uh, adult who lives in the United States. And it's a phenomenal book. But that's wow. what popped into my head when I saw these these scenes was right. We're in this fantasy sci-fi world. And what pops into my head was this real world story that I read that's uh, heartbreaking and uplifting at the same time. Uh, really powerful book. So I wanted to give it a shout out because that's exactly yeah. what This is not, it's sci-fi, but it's, it's based on some uh, real things. Um, couple other things. Once we move back to current time on the show, the, the relationship between Marcus and his wife, Sue and Paul. So Paul is the biological son of the real Marcus and Sue not the uh, face-off, face-swap Marcus and Sue. But <laughs> while while they are on, oh, like, what's the ship? It's the, the Heaven's Ark. The Ark? Yeah, oh, yeah, the, ship, the ship that gets destroyed in episode one is called Heaven's Ark. It's the one that they escaped on from a destroyed Earth. And that when they're in hypersleep, I guess we'll call it, um, you know, they're all plugged in to this almost virtual reality kind of thing, you know, kind of matrix style, really. Oh, yeah. boom. Gotcha. A movie that I didn't have written down. I love it. <laughs> uh, so they're plugged in. So they're all interacting with each other. Their brains are all in the same world and they actually develop a very strong connection with Paul. And what we kind of find out is, uh, fake Marcus and Sue are better parents to Paul than real Marcus. And Sue. Yes. Uh, which is super interesting. They're fun. They're engaging. They're they're making him uh, be brave about stuff and just doing little stuff. You know, they're just sprinkling it in. But what it brings us all the way to the current after mother has captured the children, including Paul, when Marcus comes to the first thing he says, where's Paul? And yes. I was like, oh, man, that one kind of hit me in the gut. I did not expect that, like, quick bonding relationship that they they had but it was 13 years it wasn't quick they said it was 13 years that they were in this hypersleep so they had time to really develop a relationship with them and i thought that was i thought that was interesting because that's another dynamic because mother and father also not the biological parents right uh, of campion uh yet they care deeply for him and they have this very strong connection so uh, it makes yeah. me intrigued to kind of look into the background of the writer. If, if, if maybe he was adopted or something like that, maybe that's where that comes from. Or maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just to show you that, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be blood, doesn't have to be biological for a connection like that to, to exist. But that was yeah. not a dynamic I was expecting, <laughs> after, especially after you know, everything like else. My background is neonatal intensive care and pediatric intensive care. And we'd have kids that were hospitalized for months. Um, you know, it was not like, and you do develop like very intense bonds with these kids who are not your own children. Um, you know, I worked for pediatric surgery. I remember a kid who was like, I, I literally as a 26 year old had taken care of this kid and 
been so far along with him. Like, and he, I didn't have my, any of my own kids, but like he needed a small bowel transplant. And like, I thought about going through the testing to like do it for him. Cause I mean, I got 21 feet. I could donate six. That's fine. But like, you know, you just, the point that I'm making is that there are so many people out there who develop total like maternal and paternal instincts for children that are not theirs. And and maybe part of the whole theme in this show is even though it's sci-fi and it's, you know, a different planet and it's robots and it's whatever, is that inherently in all of us, there just is this like, there is this instinctual love for things that resemble us and are more vulnerable than us, whether they're ours or aren't, which I think is a beautiful theme. Yeah. Yeah. It's it it very cool. I'm, I'm intrigued to see, cause right now they're still separated from uh, Paul. He's Paul is still with mother and maybe right. it might be interesting to see. Cause right now there is not a good dynamic between uh, the children and mother right now or father for the most part, but right. a little bit uh, better. Um, another, another thing that, popped out to me you mentioned ambrose the the mithraic leader uh, yeah and the fact that uh he's not a leader like he's not a leader at all he can't make decisions no. he makes poor decisions um and what when we get to acting just there for the title yeah and you, you're already seeing you're already like ah, yeah marcus is gonna be in charge pretty quick i think <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and and i i it's hard because it's the same actor I told you about Vikings, but <laughs> this yeah. is uh, this is Ragnar Lothbrook in space. Uh, this is it's a little bit. There's it's it's hard to separate the character, but he does a lot of little things really well. More of that in episode four that I'll get into. But yeah. uh, I thought that was interesting when we because we're just really kind of first meeting him. And you're like, oh, this guy's a bumbling buffoon. Like he's. Yes. He's an idiot and he's in charge. Um, then then the, the last note I'll make is with them all kind of being plugged in while in hyperspace. I wondered if there was like a commentary on uh, social media or just connecting mm. in a different way. So uh, interesting thing, you know, they built that bond all through that kind of fake world. You and I have only met in person one time. Right. Right. Like we've met one time in person and that's it. Uh, you know, we got, we got this going on that you become pretty good friends, uh, right. through something similar. So that's a, so I wondered if they were trying to make a commentary on social media with that, or maybe it was just, just, just a sci-fi setup for, for how that hypersleep worked. But it just kind of, kind of popped into my head. Hey, maybe this is some commentary that, you know, maybe social media is not all bad. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of gamer nerds out there, right, who have really strong yeah. connections with people they don't even know what they look like. And so these bonds can't, you know, so maybe it's that with the non-birth parents just making bonds with, it's not necessarily this old school traditional way we think about it. There's other ways we can connect with uh, other human beings. Right. And like anything like almost anything, it, it's really on how you use it. And are you using it for you to benefit you or are you abusing it or are you letting it use you? 
Yeah. Well, and then that's interesting. Did Marcus and Sue use it to develop the relationship with Paul for their benefit? Well, yes, but did it also benefit everybody? Now you start getting into some weird philosophical debates. Well, actually, though, let's stop there for a hot second and talk about something that, and I I don't know if this reminds me, does this happen in episode three? Do we find this out in episode three or do we find this out in episode four? Because we're about to go in episode four, but remember, we find out Tempest is pregnant. Right. And when that happened, she was in stasis. Right. And so to put on your, to speak to your point of, you know, you have people who are in stasis and in this, um, this integrated like matrix where they're building bonds and they're using it in a beautiful way. You did have somebody who was using it to abuse someone else. Yeah. It was obvious at that time. So did they, did they say who it was? Was, was it Ambrose? Or no. Was it somebody else. It was Ambrose, but it was some really high-ranking church member. Yeah. I forgot about that until you just said that. So yeah. Okay. Those are those are the things that like those are the things that kind of popped out to me in this episode of my initial thoughts. We're gonna save like, you know, some of the acting and science fiction stuff till after we get to the next episode. So um, do you have anything else on episode three for your initial thoughts? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Cool. You want to give us a breakdown of episode four? Sure. So episode four is called nature's course. Okay. Something to note about both of these episodes, since we are the nerds, um, the movie nerds, but Luke Scott, Ridley Scott's son directed episodes three and four. Oh, I did not know that. I noticed that and I was like, wait a minute, there can't be four Scots in a row. So I looked it up and (laughs) (laughs) like, this can't be a coincidence. So Luke Scott is Ridley Scott's son. He directed these episodes. And so, okay. So nature's course, um, basically this is where we go into, they found the kids in episode three. They brought them back to the, um, to the initial site. They're not ready to go to the tropic zone yet. And now concern for their prospects for survival, given the fact that they found out that the carbos are radioactive and not really suitable for human life and consumption. Um, father and mother eventually attempt to teach Campion and the Mithraic children to hunt the strange creatures that suddenly have appeared near the settlement. So at the end of episode three, we didn't really get in this because like we said, there's actually so much in all of these episodes, but these creatures show up, okay? These creatures show up that have never been there, whether they haven't noticed them and they've been around or or they just were kind of unearthed or woken up when the ark crashed. But anyway, these creatures, they catch one of them at the end of episode three before they go off to find the children who escaped. So now they've got this creature locked up in one of the um, like silos at, for the Carbos. And so fathers decided also kind of like an ego, it's like a hurt ego decision where he's like, these kids need to grow up and they need to learn to survive for themselves because we may not be around and I'm not feeling very useful. So you guys are now going to hunt this stuff. Um, Campion has a moment 
where he is like, no, 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 we can't do this. This is a living creature. I'm not going to kill anything because what we've gotten into now in episode four is, you know, the kids, he's hearing and seeing a lot more of the religious and spiritual perspective than the atheist perspective. He was being raised with pretty, um, pretty, um, sternly with mother. Mother's very, very, um, rigid about, we don't talk about religion. There is no religion. It's useless. It's pointless, you know, and father allows Campion to explore it a little bit more. But so Campion's being, um, he's hearing about this now, this perspective about like souls or like if animals go to heaven, if people go to heaven. And so he's very upset that hunting or killing this animal, its life would cease to exist and nothing would happen after that. So he wants to avoid killing any living creature at all costs. He wants to go off and find other things that would be suitable for them to eat. Tempest is growing increasingly hostile towards mother um, because mother is kind of developed almost like an obsessive interest in Tempest's pregnancy. She keeps making comments to Tempest, like you don't realize how lucky you are that you're able to be a creator and that you're... Um, you're able to have and hold this life. You know, that was something I was never able to do. She's like, I'm a protector, but I can't create anything. Um, while also being understanding of the fact that this was a pregnancy Tempest didn't want, that she didn't ask for this situation. But mother is also reminding Tempest, it's not the baby's fault for what this man did to her. So I thought that was very interesting and we can, we can kind of talk about that a little bit. And then also on the other side of the planet, tensions between Marcus and Ambrose are starting to come to a head as the Mithraic discover this big ancient relic that seems to be this five pointed rock that they claim is part of the prophecy. It generates heat. It's they're in a very cold region. They can't stay warm. Um, Ambrose is not allowing them to look for the children. In fact, he kind of makes reference to them, like when Sue and Marcus press, like, we've got to go find these children. He kind of makes a flippant statement, like, well, the prophecy may not want them to survive. And like, you're just going to have to be okay with that. And Sue and Marcus are definitely not okay with that. So as the dissension arises among the order on whether the group should remain at the artifact or rescue the children, there ends up being kind of like a coup. And Marcus ends up after Ambrose's android basically plants something in his ear to like cause some issues to make them suspicious of Marcus and get rid of Marcus. Marcus then takes that opportunity to leverage the group to become wary and distrustful of Ambrose being like, he just tried to get rid of me. What's really going on? What's really his agenda? And he kind of, you know, at the end of the episode, Ambrose bites it. And that's what we're left with. Basically Marcus in charge of the Mithraic. Does that yeah. sum it up? Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. And, and I want to get, I want to hold off, but the endings for each group, the Mithraic uh, and mother, father, and the children, there's some interesting stuff with those endings. But there's <laughs> when I wrote down initial thoughts, it was one of, one of the first lines in the episodes, and it's uh, what I feel a lot uh, like saying 
during uh, quarantine. And it says, keep your eyes closed, children. I'm weaponized. Uh, that's what I feel like <laughs> when my kids are driving me nuts. I don't know why that line just cracked me up. Keep your eyes closed. Because she said it so very, um, uh, you know, 1950s. Keep your right. eyes closed, children. I'm weaponized. You know, just like very sweet and right. You know, like, ah, yeah, we've seen what you are as a weapon. You are a human exploding monster. Um, so I, I don't know. What huh? do you think? I will ask. I got a lot of questions about the necromancer. Um, which I mean, I don't know if we like. I just feel like there's still a lot of unanswered stuff about the necromancer. But help me understand. Did I miss this? Are they not able to look at her? Like, what will happen if they actually see her? Or does she not want them to see her as a weapon and only as a mother? So that's one of her powers. She keeps telling the children, go to sleep now. That's because of her eyes. They have something that doesn't. See, that's what Ambrose tried to claim happened to Marcus, is he had looked into the necromancer's eyes and was being affected, kind of witch hunt style, you know. But it was actually Uh, the implant in his ear. So it's that, because it took me a minute at first, because the beginning of the episode when she saved Paul, she said, go to sleep now. He just passed out, and I was like, What? Yeah. <laughs> what was that? And then she did it with the other children. And then they start to kind of let you know that that's why the eyes thing. And this show's really good at that. It, it doesn't just like, it's not like here, have a spoonful of how this works. Like you got to figure it out. Like you got to pay attention. And, um, cause the very first time it happened, I was like, it was like, what the hell? <laughs> why did that kid just go to sleep when she said go to sleep? Right. And then when I saw her start doing it and the eye thing, then they said the thing about Marcus. Um, but the, my initial thoughts, so this one to me is layers on layers. Um, the dynamics, the gender dynamics specifically between mother and father, even more so than in episode three and just yeah. their dynamics in general. Um, I am fully of the belief that they are no longer responding to algorithms built in their system. I mm. I wholeheartedly believe they are making emotional yet logical decisions. Um, yeah. I, I think they're actually feeling emotions now. I think it's been driven past, right? Whereas the earlier episodes, it was a little vague, but their reactions have gotten more harsh, more intense. Father seems genuinely scared of mother. Like she stepped yeah. towards him to apologize and he stepped, he, he didn't step back. He jumped back. Like, right. And, and the whole time, you know, they're looking at this monstrous creature that they kidnapped the, the monster things that were running around and yeah. they just shove their face right up in it. He tackles it and they have no emotions, but when she stepped towards him, he jumped back. So yeah. I think they're starting to, uh, have more of those emotions as the situation has now increased in intensity. I think so. That was a big one, you know, kind of the battle between mother and father. Um, you know, they try to respect each other's decisions, but uh, father's making sure that just because mother is kind of all powerful, that's the yeah. thing I want to talk about. Like, who made these things? Like, this is some crazy science you got going on. But that's uh, the thing, too, because they kind of... It's funny, because in the beginning... 
they almost made it seem, I mean, like, well, she's an atheist, right? Like she's raising Campion and the kids originally as atheist, but then you find out the necromancer android was a Mithraic android, was it not? Oh, I don't, I didn't gather that. Maybe I, I think need it's to rewatch it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that's even more interesting. So maybe it got rewired by... Well, they did say the androids at one point had been um, rewired and reprogrammed by the atheists. So maybe that's where that kicks in. I don't know. Right. So I'm not sure. Because um, when Amber or when Marcus and Sue... Caleb and I don't know her name, but when they were when they're originally in their atheist faces and they're running around like there are necromancers taking care, but I don't know who they were killing. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely that. Those scenes were definitely like a fog of war. You didn't know. Yes. Who was who. And I'm sure it was purposeful, but then when they brought that up and they're like, oh, the atheists reprogrammed the necromancer or whatever, and I was like, wait, these are Mithraic. Yeah, I didn't, I guess I didn't, it didn't dawn on me like that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm loving too. between mother and father, it's like as the stakes get higher, they're starting to exhibit their like control behaviors more. So like you're saying, they're really trying to give each other space and respect each other's decisions, but very much like regular parents in like real life, it's like, Especially as a mom, and I watch other moms do this too, but I know it's like, we're like, yeah, 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 we're going to let dad do this thing. And then we're sitting over there and we're like, you're doing it wrong. Like, move out of the way. And like, we kind of become control freaks and can take over sometimes um, because like, we're, you know, we're, we're attached to the outcome as parents. We're attached to the outcome of our children being like surviving and being and thriving and being healthy and successful so like it's so hard to give up control and i feel like this is like an allegory for that right now yeah yeah and then and then there are different approaches whereas mother to me is is i think she's battling some of the stuff with as a necromancer where like she wants to go into rage mode and explode yeah. humans into pink mist um also i want to be a sweet nurturing mommy you know it's like yes and i'll be damned if it ain't freaking everybody in the house out right now she's (laughs) she's, she's going through some 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 android changes there um but with the uh with 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 that she does try to be the sweet one she tries to recognize campion as the empathetic you know, hyper empathetic boy that he is. I, I understand that. My daughter's that way. There's not a single movie where a, a character will die that she's not crying. Like, so I'm with you, girl. So I get that. But father saying, cool, I dig it. We're like on the Wild West, lady. And you got to be a little bit tougher because we're not, we're not made to last right. forever. They got to figure it out. And, Right. Um, so the one part you said where, you know, he was going to make them kill the creature for food and you thought his ego, I, I think there was some ego of wanting to kind of take back some of his control, but I also thought there was some, they need to learn this. 
come hell or yeah. high water, they need to learn this because yeah. they're not going to be around forever and they're going to have to figure something out because obviously the food source is a problem right now, which yeah. um, is You're right. I also think some of the nature versus nurture aspects of that, you know, I think where with her trying to, I think the way she's trying to raise them is a much more modern way where we try to look at like, look, not everybody thinks and feels the same. And maybe um, it's okay to treat each kid a little bit more individually to their strengths and figure out their weaknesses and that. Whereas like, I think, father's nurture nurture is uh yeah sure but it's the wild freaking west like you gotta listen to me lady it's the wild west and i got it we gotta make them tough well and you know living yes and i i think that's an excellent point you bring up because you know two things you've first you've got i think like what you're saying like you've got you've got dueling parenting strategies at this moment of the sense of like, I'm raising children kind of mother where she's like, I'm always going to be around and protect you. I'm a necromancer. I explode people. Like it's all good. We'll figure it out. I'm super powerful now. Like I got it all, but you're still raising children. Whereas father has that. He's got that foresight to be like, we're not going to be around. Like I've already, you know, like he's already these, died. So I think it's changed his perspective or died, yeah, terminated, so whatever we call it. Experience. Exactly. Um, but like, he's what he's like, we got to raise adults who are going to function. And so you also have these dueling perspectives of like that hyper empathy and that like, reserve we talked about this um before with me where like we talked about like in emergency settings like as an ICU nurse like there were times when like I'm a very hyper empathetic person but those emotions got to go bye-bye to do what I need to do to help another person and you were the one who was like you know in emergency situations like rationality has to prevail and I think that's what you're seeing there too is like there's a time and a place for the empathy, the hyper empathy, and to really dive into the feelings. And then there is a time when those feelings or doing that and not dealing with the survival aspect can be dangerous. And that's what father's bringing up. It's like, you don't have the luxury right now to feel all these feelings. We don't have a food source. Yeah. 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 And then, and then even, um, with, Another element of the nature, nurture, how are we going to handle this? Mother saying that she was going to take the fetus from Tempest and actually, uh, it's hard to explain (laughs) verbally, uh, how she was able to uh, grow the embryos and fetuses by, you know, basically android umbilical cords and uh, bowls of goop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, petri dish babies is what they were, kind of, but plugged into into mother. And yeah. father goes, "Well, why would why why would you do that?" And she said, "Well, she was raped, and that is how she's pregnant. That's a, a horrific trauma." Yeah, super she true. But his counter argument was great. He said, "I understand that, but this is a potentially dangerous thing you're doing. Her trauma can be dealt with." We can work through the trauma of that right. incident. How do we work through the, the physical 
problems that this may cause us. Um, yeah. and, and it's going to be better for the baby to have that natural birth. And, and I thought that was, you know, when he said nature, um, you know, about nature's course, you know, nature has a way. And mother said, nature doesn't have a way, which I thought was, there's something along those lines, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's her kind of recognizing, she even mentions that Tempest, you have the, the ability to be a creator. I will be nothing but a creation. I will never be able to actually create. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of this realization, I think an emotional realization that she's limited as an Android in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't like the idea of nature because she is by her very nature, unnatural, right? Her and yeah. father both are unnatural beings. They are creations uh, of man. So I think that was some interesting stuff with the, the child rearing and the nature's way looking, even the small stuff, you know, looking for food and the dangers in the food. And I thought all that stuff was just, uh, really cool. And it kept that pioneer pilgrim wild west, uh, vibe that the show had in the first episode. I, I thought that the show, it, it was just trying to tell more of the story, but I thought it brought that dynamic back, uh, mm-hmm. in a big way. Oh yeah. And, and not to change gears too much, but the, the, the Mithraic politics, because there's two stories being told now. We've we've finally started to diverge. The first episode, two and a half episodes were mother, father, and the kids. Now we're starting to get into the Mithraic yeah. people. And you mentioned with the, the breakdown, the politics, you know, Ambrose, we mentioned episode three, not a good leader. Also uh, seems to have tendencies of a lot of those horrific um cult leaders and things that you hear about. Uh, it reminded me, I'm listening to this podcast uh, called, I think, Sugar Creek. Uh, okay. It's a, uh, a village where, I, th- I'm, I don't want to screw it up because it's, it's the sect of Mormonism that was kind of the, the cult-like sect, sect okay. where, they, where they, had the, they kept driving on with the multiple spouses and uh, okay. one, one leader, they were definitely not a part of the, the main, uh, Mormonism. It was, it was kind of the break off more extreme, version. but that, that leader, the stories are telling is like, mm-hmm. that's Ambrose just making decisions that benefit him and him alone. They clearly have nothing. Although we do see Ambrose isn't completely stupid because he gives a little test to Sue. Yes. Asks her. Uh, a basic nursery rhyme that all Mithraic people know, and she did not know it. Yeah. Uh, so he figured out that her and Marcus are not the Sue and Marcus that they they originally thought they were. Um, oh, right. She also she has she must have been a physician as an atheist, and so she has um, like medic capabilities and everyone's noticing that and she's telling everyone she gained it and learned it in stasis. Yeah. 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 And they're like, I didn't see any of those books. <laughs> yeah. It's, I love that they're peppering that in. Like they're like, besides Ambrose knowing like that other person who walked up and was like, Oh, you fought with my father and to Marcus and Marcus was like, he was a good man. And that the soldier said, Oh, so you forgive him then. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Like, <laughs> that's what the big guy in the sky would want me to do, right? Am I right? 
Uh, hope he buys it. Yes, yes. So uh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that dynamic was cool, the politics there. And it, it really was, it was a short bit. I think it might have been, I think it would have been interesting to make it play out longer over the. the well, you're seeing it with the kids too. Yeah. You're seeing the political caste system with the kids too, because that one kid who was, I guess he, his parents were way high up there. Like he doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to contribute. He's throwing around a lot of opinions on how Tempest should feel grateful that she got knocked up by this super high ranking. Like he's kind rapist, of worse. Super high ranking rapist. That's what we Super high ranking religious rapist. Yes. Um, okay. But like, yeah, you're really seeing, you're seeing it with the kids too, which I think is really cool that they're peppering it in on that side too like it's just oh guys you got if you're not watching this show by episode four when we're talking about it you got to get in on it it's so good (laughs) uh and then the last thing i want to talk about with my initial thoughts is the endings for the mithraic people and where we're left off with uh really father more so than the rest of the group Mm -hmm. Um, where those politics come to a head with the mithraic um, Ambrose, they're freezing cold. It's night. The big rock five-sided, I want to call it a pyramid, but it's obviously not a pyramid. It looks kind of like a pyramid, but it's got five different sides. Um, element rock? Huh? Big yeah. fifth element rock? Yes, that. Oh, even, oh, oh, there's another one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was putting off heat and it was keeping them warm at night. And they think this is something sent from Saul. It's some sign, something. It stops putting out heat. And Ambrose says, let's blow it up. Let's get inside of there. It'll be warmer in there. Saul will forgive us. And everyone's kind of on edge because earlier he said, no, we're not doing that. Uh, that would be an insult to Saul. And now he's flipping course on him. Mm-hmm. And then as he's trying to do it, Marcus sees the opportunity to go, oh, everyone's not on board with this. Everyone's not cool with this. And he interrupts. And this is where I thought it got really interesting because now I think we're getting away. I don't want to say getting away, but we're introducing fantasy elements into the sci-fi now because something that started off, I thought, very science based Um, which adds an interesting element, but um, Marcus starts to hear voices while he's confronting Ambrose. Right. And then the the fifth element rock, that's what we're going to call it because that works, uh, (laughs) starts lighting up and Marcus shoves Ambrose's face into it and lights him on fire and burns him to death. And we don't know how that just happened. Like we have no clue how or why that happened. Why is he hearing voices? Why at that exact moment did the rock do that? Uh, Super interested to find more about great cliffhanger uh, for the episode. Then on the flip side, um, father. So one thing we did forget to mention is that that monster creature, they captured it and father was going to study it. Then he determined he needed to slaughter it for food for the kids because there's nothing else they can eat. None of the kids would finish the job. But then Tempest sneaks out and, and kills it and finds out the creature was pregnant with its own baby. So there was some interesting 
um, yeah. trauma there, you know, with the pregnant lady just killing the pregnant creature and some of those. Yeah. But then right after that, he, he hears something and he turns around and it's one of uh, the original children who had already died, but in a cloak. And he, and he says her name and she runs off and he chases after her. And that's yeah, that it ended. Tally. But we also saw somebody when Paul was lost in the woods, that's how he got distracted and fell into the hole in the first place. Right. Another mystery cloaked person. Um, but what's interesting is that was an android that saw her, right? Like, ah. he's not, you know, he's not imagining things. He's an android, right? It's not. Never know. If he's malfunctioning, he might be. That's true. That's true. But I don't know why Paul also would have saw that's something, true. something similar. So I, I think the show's starting to introduce some fantasy elements that I, I super didn't think we were going to get any fantasy but, you know, I, I obviously also think it's playing into the religion and uh, science debate by throwing these elements in there. I just don't know what they're, they're going to take us down and what they're going to lead us to. But I say take us down because I'm convinced those big holes in the earth, or not in the earth, in Kepler 22b, the big giant holes that, that are everywhere, you know, they, they go down them a little bit and then they come up. I wonder what that leads to. I feel like it's going to lead us to something. Well, especially if this is real and not a hallucination, Callie fell down a hole. That's how she died. She didn't die of radiation poisoning like the other kids. Right. Yeah. Callie was the first one, and that's why they started telling the other kids that they had to stay away from, there were monsters in the holes or whatever they told them to keep them away from. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very, very intrigued, but... Uh, yeah. From there, I want to kind of get into the the acting, you mm-hmm. know, just just see what you think. I, I uh, you start. You tell me your thoughts on some of the main players and and what you thought. I mean, I the guy who's playing father is just killing it. He's killing it in every scene. I love everything about him. I love the way he carries the scenes. I love the way he carries himself. I love the way he carries his relationships with whoever is in the scene with him. Um, in the last, in that part of uh, episode four, where he's, I found it kind of comical, like where he's trying to have the kids man up to slaughter this animal and he's trying to teach him how to do it. And they're like running away screaming. Cause like one of them stabbed it and it's, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat, but like part of that is also because I don't think I'd ever be capable of like killing my own animal to do, to eat it. But I know like, that's like a lot of people don't think about that. And so it was just kind of funny to like see them have the kids do it. And then he's very logical. Like it, like children, no, you must come back. Like you need to finish this. And like, I don't know. I thought that scene was really great. Um, but I love him. Uh, the child actors are all great. Tempest has obviously got to play a very tortured girl in a situation that she doesn't want to be in and is scared. And, you know, that's a very complicated role and she's doing a great job with that. Um, I'm really enjoying watching Sue, the actress playing Sue, because... Mm -hmm. 
you can see some of the parallels between her character and mother's too, where she's like, I don't know if I'm good enough to do this. I don't know if I can do this, but she's really trying. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just, there's a lot of complexity to her role too, that I think she's carrying very well. Like trying not like balancing. Now she's got these new feelings about this kid. She loves and cares for also still trying to not get caught as a fake Mithraic as a Mithraic imposter. Um, those are my standouts. Like the guy who's playing Travis, uh, Travis Femel or Femel. Like I haven't seen that show that you love. Although now maybe I need to check it out. Um, but he's doing a great job. He's obviously suffering. This is something that we haven't touched on. I'm really appreciating and loving them peeking out the like PTSD he has as a soldier and his experiences from like the time he was a kid and all the traumas he's had put upon him and that are showing up in different areas. Like when they were, when the androids were hemming and he was like, stop, stop hemming that. And they were like, why this is a beautiful song that we hem when, you know, an atheist dies and just how, um, you really through his character and how they are starting to, uh, what's the word? They're starting to like, um, flesh out, breadcrumb out, flesh out, breadcrumb out his traumas and what he's gone through. Is they're all kind of like, oh, you were a Mithraic soldier, which almost also sounds like you had it easier than the atheist soldiers. Um, and also just like, you realize how these higher ups, like they don't even have to go to war. They have no idea what a battlefield is like. They're making decisions for all these other people and they really have no idea what it's like on the ground. So I, I'm appreciating this aspect of his character as it develops with us. Yeah. It sounds like real life. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it was uh, Jordan Lofren, I believe is how you say it, who played Tempest. And I agree, she's she's doing phenomenal. You know, as the show goes on, I think we're going to get more and more of the kids. But of the kids, her and uh, Winter McGrath, who plays Campion, he's evolving really great. The only yeah. it's not a him thing. His acting's fine. I do think his quick turn with the other kids from mother and father seemed very quick but maybe i don't know maybe it was so traumatic to see mother turn into the necromancer that uh maybe that was what what did but i i thought both of those actors were great you know now that you say that too but like that is sometimes what happens with people as they go from believing in a religion or not but believing in something their whole life and then all of a sudden on a dime, it gets switched. You learn something new. You have a new experience where kind of things around you crumble and you start to question everything regarding yeah. that. Yeah. And I think that also his experience where he turns on a dime on mother and is like, I don't trust anything about you. How do I know this is true? How do I know you're not poisoning us? Like can also very much be a metaphor for what happens when someone who believes in something their whole life all of a sudden is like, oh my God, it gets shattered around them. And they're like, this isn't exactly the way that I thought it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, so maybe it is fine. It, now that I'm thinking maybe about it a little maybe more, not, who knows? Yeah, um, and then Father, I agree with you. I think Father so far is kind of the standout character on the show. He's played by uh, Abu Bakar Salim. Uh, Sue, I agree, she's great. Uh, Naya Alger, I think is how you say her name. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that played Ambrose, Steve Wall, and he's a bit player. You'll see, you'll you'll recognize his face. Uh, I had to look him up. I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen him in this and this and this. So he's he's a he's a bit player that you've probably seen and stuff. But he plays a great slime ball. Uh, yeah, because that's what I would call Ambrose is a, a con man, uh, a swindler. And I thought he did very well with it. And then with, with uh, Marcus, with Travis Femmel, like I said, it's hard to differentiate. One, because Ragnar Lothbrok is one of my all-time favorite TV characters. He's so great at it. Um, and it, am I seeing hints just because it's the same actor and he has some similar things? But there was something that happened. Like when they found out the android – was the one that planted the bug in his ear to make him go crazy. And Ambrose goes, well, there's the android. She was starting to malfunction. So I'll just assume there's an apology to the reaction that you had. And he just kind of yeah. goes, yeah, but he, he kind of had this smirk on his face, kind of rolled his eyes, and he goes, okay, yeah, I got you. Right. That's a freaking thing he does as Ragnar all the time. So, like that exact expression. So it's, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. It's one of my favorite characters. He's a lot more, he's a lot more impatient than Ragnar though. That's, that's his strength is his patience. And this guy, because of the issues he's gone through, you know, Sue has to talk him off the cliff because he just wants to walk up and execute Ambrose. And I think she's the one that goes, that's not tactical. That's not, that's, that's going to be bad because then everybody's going to turn on you and the right. way and the patience paid off um, and got that power. But I think all the actors so far, very good. I'm just really happy to see Travis Fimmel and another thing that I love. Uh, so that I'm really excited by that. Um, I love it in this show. There's, I mean, you know him, I don't really know anybody else. Yeah. He's, I like I said, I've seen um, the guy that plays Ambrose, uh, Steve Wall. I've seen okay. him in things before. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, I know that guy. I can't pinpoint. So he's one of those I know guys. he's a witcher. But um, I, I love that it's a lot of, like, it's, I do love a, a show that's, like, not a lot of well mainstream. I love, I, I'm enjoying when we got a lot of people that aren't mainstream and we get to know new actors and actresses yeah and i just remembered he's on vikings too steve wall was in, in some episodes of vikings as well. oh okay cool <laughs> so they had work together uh moving on from there with the science fiction world you know that that they're building in this show uh you know i'll, I'll kind of start with my my thoughts i just think it's interesting how they're slowly expanding out Kepler uh, 22B, we're, we're finding more things. You know, we've just found a desert right. with the Mithraic. Um, and, <clears throat> but like I said, it's starting to feel more and more some fantasy elements in there. And maybe yeah. that's not the case. Maybe they're trying to make it seem like fantasy elements. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, the big giant fifth element rock, like what the hell is that thing? 
You know, it's clearly right. made by something. Why is this in the middle of the desert? What is this thing? Uh, so I think that's an interesting thing that they're putting in there is some of the more fantasy uh, aspects. Because not only do we have that mystery thing, we have the burning of Ambrose, uh, the past dead little one that, that father saw. Uh, so, you know, as far as the science fiction end of things go, I mean, I, I think it's actually gone more... Um, more basic, more, more feral. The show's a little more feral now, you know, it's, it's, Hey, we, they don't have a lot of technology at their disposal. They have some technology, which I think makes it an interesting sci-fi story, right? Where they have a limited amount um, of the fancy technology we expect in it. And it's forcing them to do things. A little, a little that when you said that, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like planet of the apes, right? Like they go into a, they take a spaceship to a planet and find kind of like, you know, a culture that is living a little bit more rudimentary. Um, I don't know why I just thought of that kind of, that's what popped into my head, but like, I'm trying to think of other movies or influences where it's like, you're in a spaceship, you got all this stuff, but then you got to go and start over somewhere else. Do you have any? Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. Tatooine. Mandalorian. Yeah, One of the episodes of Mandalorian, his whole ship gets, you know, stripped. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I, that's that's the one that I, I thought of is, is uh, obviously there's not like whole bits of Star Wars, but there's bits and pieces of that stuff on different planets that you go to. So that, that was what kind of popped into my head. Right, yeah, he's living on a farm, exactly. Like it's a lot of like that that uh, settlement life. Like you yeah. were from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, was there anything in the sci-fi world of things that you thought, I don't know, you have any thoughts on it, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, I, I always got lots of thoughts, Jay. Um, <laughs> never a shortage of thoughts with me. No, I, I'm loving the world they're creating. I think it's always interesting. I love that they're bringing in like real world religion. It's not even, it's not even some like off the wall, like let's say the Witcher or whatever, where it's like just straight up magic. Like this is like so very much Judeo-Christian influenced religion that you're bringing in, but then you're bringing in, you know, the sci-fi aspect. And then now like this mystical elements that you're like, is it sci-fi? Like, like you said, like how did the th- how did the fifth element rock get there? Why did a space light on fire? Who are these other people? What is this prophecy? Um, is it nature? Is it nature taking its course, or science? You know, like science fiction or science taking its course? Is it not? You know, is there overlap? I like to. Be- I'm a big gray person, so I like to believe like there's probably a little bit of both, like, you know, the atheistic and the spiritual or religious at like philosophies. It's probably somewhere in the middle. So, um, but of the science, like, I don't have a lot to contribute as far as the world they're building right now. You know, I just back off what you say. I have most of the same sentiments. Yeah. It's stripped down, but yeah, the Mithraic really, it really, really is based off of, uh, some gods from the the Roman Empire. Uh, it's kind of a combination. Saul, who's the one they name, uh, and and Mithras, which is where Mithraic comes from. So it's it's kind of this weird combination of a couple uh, Roman 
gods that they've made this, you know, way into the future religion based on. So I think that's, that is pretty uh, interesting and makes it feel like it's in a more uh, real world. But speaking of real world, some of the real world uh, implications of the show. And one thing I mentioned earlier, mother and father seeming to me at this point to be having true emotions. Um, yeah. Past that. Here's what we were made and designed to. And I think that's, it's interesting. It, it was, they had a very similar response to humans to some, tr- you know, uh, an increasing amount of traumatic things happening. You know, they seem to react. Okay. Mother, not so much, but with each kid passing away, they seemed pretty logical about it, but now there's like this confrontation with the Mithraic added in there and all these kids who believe in the religion that they want to be atheists. And it seems like those things have created a, a much more uh, traumatic response from mother and father that's caused them to actually start uh, feeling those emotions. So mm-hmm. I thought that was that was an interesting real world implication. Can AI get to that point where it's not just an algorithm? It it evolves into its own thing over a course of time learning these things. Right. I don't know, but I think they do a good job with it. Well, and I brought it up where I see the overlap in that kind of question and that theme in like Westworld, which is a show you and I both enjoyed. We haven't talked about on the podcast, but, you know, that's another one that kind of also begets that question of like, when does AI, because in the the third season, if you haven't watched Westworld, go past this part. But, um, (laughs) but just like, you know, there is, there's also kind of that, aspect of like an algorithm yeah that ends up starting to evolve so much that it dictates people's lives without them really knowing it and kind of hurting them you know and so the same thing where with ai or with any technology when does it move to the point and we can bring this back real world implication real world implication this episode or these last two talked a lot about like, kind of like, you know, abortion, women's rights, elective termination, pro-life, pro-choice kind of stuff brought in there, which I loved and appreciate. Um, But the whole like discussion between mother and father about it and like varying points of view and both sides having valid points and where do we find the gray area in that? And how do we find a compromise um, and how do we make the best decisions for those involved? So I love that they brought that in there because that's not a subject like they did it very delicately and in the setting of a science fiction show, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move into the, the part where we talk about the, the film influences or the, the movies you know, like I said at the beginning, that we'll probably end up talking about someday if we haven't already. Like what, to me, I I actually caught more film influences this round than I did the first two episodes. Oh, yeah? Lay them on me. Do you have any? I know you said you kind of struggled because you were like in deep into the layers. I was in so deep into the themes and the motifs. I was like, I can't even. 
Um, I'd say the biggest one besides Fifth Element Rock is uh, is um, oh jeez, I guess I could go Watcher in the Woods with now that like we're talking about like kind of that like character like that's Watcher in the Woods like there's someone out in the woods and and in the the wilderness that's kind of got eyes on them, but. For me, it was more prominent, like, the Blade Runner theme of, like, you know, in Blade Runner, the replicants don't, so, like, are they human? The ones that you're, like, they're replicants, or are they? Do they yeah. even realize they're a replicant? No, they believe so, they, they believe they're human. And kind of that same thing, like, there is, it's very interesting to watch Mother and Father because... They know they're androids, but there is so much humanity in them. And there are so many points in the episodes where you're seeing them like go full-blown human, full-blown human response with some android powers. But like, that's really the influence that I've been pulling. But like I said, I didn't, I didn't look very much. What about you? Uh, I'll, I'll start like kind of some of the early stuff when we flash back to Marcus as a child in the, uh, in the atheist army as a child mm-hmm. soldier. One, when, when you kind of had all those soldiers together, they're kind of doing like a war chant. I don't know why that really made me think of the war boys from uh, Mad okay. Max Fury Road. Yeah. Just, just like these, these poor folks who've been put into this army and now they're, they're all in, they bought into it. They're doing the war. Oh chant, my gosh. So yes. It really made me think of the war boys. I thought of Ender's game. I mean, sci-fi kid army. The Ender's Game. I mean, the, the yeah. book and the movie. Take your pick. Um, and then the last part, when you saw the kids actually like one-on-one fighting for training and they had these super suits on, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. They have those super yes. suits that they wear. Yes. Uh, it was making me think of, of those suits. And then <clears throat> just small hints of some things. I don't know if you've ever seen the horror movie, The Descent. If you haven't, it's one of my all-time favorites. But it's, it's one, there's all these caves and these holes on this planet that we've not explored yet. Uh, but there was this one point where the Mithraic were hiding uh, from Mother when she's in necromancer form in these caves and they think there's something in there and, and mm-hmm. they don't do much exploring. I'm just, to me, that's a creature feature movie. There's some hidden stuff in these caves, some claustrophobia. It it hinted at it. I think it will see more of that stuff later on. But Mm -hmm. it just, I just love that. That's one of my favorite horror movies, I think. Uh, The Big Rock, you got Fifth Element. I got Stargate. That that scene in the desert where they're hiking totally reminded me of Stargate. Um, Nothing necessarily particular to the story, just visually kind of reminded me of them trekking through the desert uh, on that one planet. Yeah. Uh, got some, some Star Wars and some Star Trek in there. Star, Star Wars with some of the more fantasy elements being introduced and that kind of yeah. Wild West sci-fi combination feeling. I mean, that's Star Wars. It's, it's, yeah. it's a Western in space, you know. Uh, Star Trek would be more when we didn't mention this mother plugs into a wrecked ship. She plugs into the, the 
holographic thing. I don't know. It reminded me oh, of the, yeah. uh, the holodeck from Star Trek because she's now, and that's something we didn't talk about, I think reliving a memory yeah, uh, that is supposed to kind of give us some insight into Campion's empathy where he takes the blame for something that the other kids did. And he just seems a lot more emotionally and mentally more intelligent uh, than the other original children that were in there. But that, that kind of got some Star Trek vibes. Plus father's reaction to some of these new emotions reminds me of some of the stuff with data and first contact talking first contact next year. Um, And and where he's starting to, well, that's more physical feeling, but you know, data is always trying to kind of delve into some of this. I won't talk too much of it because we'll get, We'll get called out by uh, Scott McFarland on my lack of Star Trek knowledge. Okay, I'm gonna. I will admit something on this podcast, just for Star Trek. Um, growing up as a kid, I had a, I had a crush on Data in Star Trek. <laughs> Junior. <laughs> well, I'm just going to guess you didn't tell your husband that on the first date. <laughs> no. I was going to say, I'm looking at Jay's face going, and this is the last time we'll be recording one of these podcasts. (laughs) Mm, Data. I loved, there there was something that I I liked about his emotional awkwardness. I just wish the listeners could see the glow on your face as you talk about data. (laughs) It's a glow. Uh, <laughs> you're, getting, uh, you're getting full disclosure here. <laughs> uh, last ones, the Matrix. You know, I kind of got with the the way they were all plugged in on the ship. You know, we mentioned Matrix, and then yeah, uh, Pr- Prometheus again. Some of the seems like there's a lot of hidden mysteries, um, and I know Prometheus is a, a hit or miss movie for folks. Uh, oh I, yeah, I, I liked it. Could have been better, but it. it has a lot of mystery sci-fi mystery to it that I feel like we're getting into. And I, I well, yeah. Prometheus has all those themes of like the creators and the engineers and like these godlike beings that built, you know, so I, I can totally see where you're picking up on those kind of vibes. and influences. Yeah. So that's, that's one, man, I, I, I don't know. I was seeing lots of them this time, this time around. And, uh, I don't know. I'm loving this show. I, I like, I was excited for it, but I like the show way more than I thought I would way more than I thought I would. Um, Me too. The episode, the first episode I was like, I, I mean, I liked it, but I, I wasn't like, now I'm like, I'm in, like, I want to keep going. I will say this. Um, I will criticize the intros a real snoozer for me. Yeah. Compared to HBO intros, like, when you, you know, with a lot of the series intros, this one is just kind of like, uh, yeah, they, yeah, Westworld and Game of Thrones just have these killer intro set pieces. You know, six feet under. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is. I think you're right. It's a, it's a bit of a snooze fest. That's like the uh, biggest criticism I'd have for this show. And you can yeah, skip the, the-, the minute and a half of intro. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, do you got anything else to talk about on these two episodes? I'm talked out. I'm talked out. We no, should... I can't wait to see, watch episode five. All right. Well, we should, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, you want to give us a heads up on, on what's coming down the chute for 
uh, front row flashbacks for the uh, upcoming month? You got it. So, you know, for those of us who are either on our um, flashbacks feed or on the main feed, you'll see we've got for October. That's a big month for everybody. They love their horror movies on the front row network. So several different types. Think flashbacks. We do monster cast. And we're going to be hitting up Return of the Living Dead and The Shining. And that's going to be, The Shining is going to be a crossover with classics. So you're going to be hearing from Brandon and Eric as well as us on flashbacks. Jay, what about you? Yeah, I'm super pumped for Living Night and Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, me too. The Shining as well. Don't get me wrong. I just, I think there's a lot to talk about with Return of the Living Dead. So I'm super pumped. I think it's uh it's it's too much of a cult movie and more people should watch it and be aware of its uh very heavy influence on modern pop culture because it's crazy that I don't I don't think pe- most people know that brains comes from that movie. I don't think most people know zombies saying brains comes from that movie. That's bothersome. I know. That's bothersome. Yeah. So I can't wait to talk about yeah. that. Super pumped for those next two. Super glad. Super glad Dick Tracy's in the rear view mirror. <laughs> uh, that was oh, a man. good, yeah, fun discussion. Guys. But man, did I not care for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out, yes. If you guys, depending on when this episode is released, it's either behind us or in front of us, is a crossover with uh, Guilty Pleasures, Lou Hare from Guilty Pleasures, and that's talking about the movie Dick Tracy and probably one of the most painful podcasts I've ever seen Jay experience. <laughs> I had a great had, talk. It was a great talk. Got it. Great talk. Yeah, it was so funny, but it, <laughs> it's fun listen, and there's some real gems in there as far as the soundtrack goes for Dick Tracy, so check that out if that's your thing, too. That's and We got lots of content for the movie theaters being functioning at minimal capacity right now yeah and and you can you can find our main podcast you know the front row network we, we're on facebook subscribe to our feed on spotify or whatever you use to have, uh, access your podcasts uh, we can also be found on npr illinois website under the community voices tab you can follow us on twitter at front row reviews with a z And also, you can find our Patreon on the Front Row Network's Facebook page. So if you like this content, there's more like it, more available. And if you want to join us as a full-time patron, we'd be super appreciative. Once again, thanks for joining us, and we'll all see you all in the Front Row. Just like love will do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.